speaking to people about those unspoken needs we have, not in just, you know, couples, but in family relationships, friendships, at work, all over the place. We have these expectations and nobody knows it but us. And we're creating these stories and narratives and all of this stuff in our head. And it's like, you know, if you just said that, it's possible that the person could meet that need if you spoke up about it. Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. Hi there. Thanks for tuning in. That voice you heard in the intro is Nedra Tawab. Nedra is here today to teach us all about boundaries. Her book, Set Boundaries, Find Peace, A Guide to Reclaiming Yourself, helped me to see boundaries in a whole new light and also to realize how boundaries impact us every day, each and every one of us. Nedra Glover-Tawab is a New York Times bestselling author, a licensed therapist, and a sought-after relationship expert. She helps people create healthy relationships by teaching them how to implement boundaries. Her philosophy is that a lack of boundaries and assertiveness underlie most relationship issues. And the gift that she brings is helping people to create healthy relationships with themselves and others. I really enjoyed Nedra's book. The biggest takeaway that I got, there were many, was that when it comes to boundaries, clarity saves relationships. Today, she's going to help connect the dots between burnout and boundaries and also help us to consider how it's important that we as parents set boundaries for ourselves when it comes to our own kids. I hope you enjoy my chat with Nedra today. If you want the links to get in touch with her or the things that we talk about in this episode, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 323. Without further ado, here's our chat. Hi, Nedra. How are you? I am well. Happy to be here. I am glad to chat with you. So I just finished your book and it was amazing. I think there was something about it that you tied in so many things that I never really thought about as boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you connected them. You connected the dots on a lot of things. Well, I am happy to be the dot connector. <laughs> um, it, you know, it comes from years of working with people and seeing these issues show up in a particular way. And you're like, oh, wait, we've been treating it as this when actually it is an assertiveness issue. It is an issue of stating your needs, not engaging in this idea that people can figure it out on their own or they should know. It's like, wow, this is all really boundary setting. Yeah. So did you just kind of stumble into this work over years of being a therapist? Stumble is a strong word. Um, I think it was many intentional steps to get there. It was being creative in the process of being a therapist. You know, sometimes our tools 
they aren't always helpful, right? Like we have these, these theories, these books, and it's like, okay, this isn't working for my clients. So we go back to the drawing board and we think of things that might be beneficial. And this is just something that I found that we need it, particularly um, with people who have resentment, work-life balance issues, anxiety sometimes, um, certainly couples. Oh my gosh, the amount of couples I've seen that have these unspoken needs, it is is huge. You know, when they have children in the relationship and they assume that their partner will hop into this this role of a parent that they have created in their head. And, you know, this person is like sitting down watching TV while you're cleaning all the battles. And you're like, wait a minute, why aren't they? And it's like, well, have you asked them? Why should I have to ask, ask them? And it's like, well, they see you cleaning the bottles and they think, hey, there's a person who likes to clean bottles. <laughs> what am I hopping up for? So just speaking to people about those unspoken needs we have, not in just, you know, couples, but in family relationships, friendships, at work, all over the place. We have these expectations and nobody knows it but us. And we're creating these stories and narratives and all of this stuff in our head. And it's like, you know, if you just said that, it's possible that the person could meet that need if you spoke up about it. Yeah. And as I was reading your book, something that I was thinking about was the evolving nature of boundaries, especially over the lifespan with major life changes. Mm. Yeah. I think the biggest evolution of boundaries is within families, that growth from being a child to an adult. We sort of figure out who we want to be, who we don't want to be, what we like, what we don't like. You know, it is a big betrayal when you find someone who makes macaroni better than your mother, right? It's like, (laughs) you know, there's this constant discovering of self, this constant discovering of what you like and what you don't like and taking that back to your family. I remember when um, I discovered that when I'm eating spaghetti, I like my meat sauce and my noodles separate. It was a big thing because my family made it combined, right? It's like, what do you mean? I'm like, can you make me a little pot on the side? I must have been at somebody's house or something and tasted it that way. And I was like, this is what I need in my life. Like this separation and then communicating this to my mother, like, please make it separately. And the amount of reminders I had to give like, hey, 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 don't mix it up. Set mine to the side. Like for me, that's like the beginnings of of boundary setting, you know, and it got to a point where it's like, hey, let me make it myself. This exact way that I want it. Yeah. And I think that in childhood that I'll do it myself is is kind of a something that is adaptive um, as we learn to grow and meet our own needs. Mm-hmm. But in adulthood that if you can't do it my way, I'll just do it myself. That's not always so adaptive, is it? No, and I don't think it's always adaptive in childhood. You know, one of the one of the things of childhood is having, you know, in some situations, you have to be a listener. If a parent says, hey, no, I won't do it that way, then it's like, okay, I'll adapt to eating it like this. And, you know, parents are shocked when you turn 18 and it's like, hey, this is the way I really wanted to do it. And I'm, I'm not going to do it all the time this way. But yes, we cannot always do things ourselves. That was just one example of us being mm-hmm. able to. But there are many times where 
where um, we need to ask for support. We need to train other people to do the job. We need to make it clear how they can be supportive of us. Healthy boundaries are flexible boundaries. And it's, you know, on one end of the spectrum, we could be really rigid and always doing things ourselves, never inviting support. And on the other end, we can always be needing people to do things. And in the beautiful middle, you know, hopefully there is some give and take of, of both of those things. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between boundaries and limits and rules and how you envision those things? You know, I I think with boundaries, it is a sort of rule. It's a personal rule. You know, it's not a law, but it is, you know, like in this space, this is the expectation. I think of you know, in the pandemic, it wasn't a law to wear a mask in a grocery store, but certain people had that boundary placed on their door as their expectation for being in the space. So it's not, you know, law, it's not rule, but it's it's personal often. And in some places it is, you know, a rule in that environment. So I don't make a huge distinction between like rules and boundaries, because I think sometimes boundaries can be rules and they can be, you know, expectations. And it is, um, it is a way for us to show up in our relationships in society and communities that we may need, you know, certain boundaries as rules. Yeah. I think from a personal standpoint, when I think about a boundary, I have this kind of visual of me with like this like circle around my body, kind of this me mm-hmm. protecting myself versus mm-hmm. a rule. Sometimes like if I'm giving my kid a rule, it's on them. Like this is your rule. And a boundary kind of feels like my personal boundary. Do you see it at all like that? Or is that just kind of my envisioning it? You know, I, I do think that that boundaries are personal. Right. Sometimes even when I look at rules, I think who broke a boundary to the point that we now need a rule. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, when we look at like traffic, like it was like, and you know, I think sometimes like, wow, we must have been driving really wild to have to be given traffic light. It had to become a rule for us to, you know, respect this person is going, that person is going. It probably started as a boundary, like, hey, let me pass. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, and then it, it it developed into a rule. You know, I wonder how often that happens, that we have these boundaries to protect ourselves, but they need to become rules to be adhered to. And yes, with kids, you know, some things are rules. Um, and some things are boundaries. I think of, you know, sort of a rule slash boundary is like a bedtime with kids or, you know, certain ways of saying things. I think I think you can say almost anything, but there's a certain way to say it sometimes. Right. Like you you shouldn't point at people. You know, that's not that's not kind. And, you know, they may think you're saying bad things about them. Can you speak your opinion perhaps? And how do I teach you to do that? So that is a way that we shape some of the rules we have with our children. Mm, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm thinking about my family spent a month in Mexico this summer in a city and there were a lot of intersections and there were no stop signs, very few stoplights. And the cars just kind of came to the intersection and sort of paused sometimes and sometimes kept going. But there was kind of this mutual respect for space where they looked at each other and and guided their decisions based on what other people were doing. But there wasn't really a rule about it. There was just kind of a loose boundary, but it seems to work. 
And I mm-hmm. wonder in, in some situations in life, if those loose boundaries do seem to work and some, we really need to have something that is more concrete. Yeah, I, I think that if it's working, do we have to talk about it? You know, sometimes we feel like when we get into relationships, we have to state all our boundaries. Like, these are all my boundaries. And it's like, well, everyone doesn't need the same boundaries with you. There are tons of people who naturally mm-hmm. respect boundaries. They naturally understand boundaries. And so, you know, some things don't need to be communicated and some things do. So how do we figure out what can be something that we need to say and what is something that can be a little looser? Yeah. And we usually don't think too much about boundaries until they're not being followed, until they're being violated. Absolutely. Yes. And certainly if something has been violate it multiple times, it becomes more important to us. So we do think about it a bit more. It's like, wait a minute, this is a huge thing to me. So maybe I do need to start communicating this. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about spoken versus unspoken boundaries? Yeah. I think sometimes we think that boundaries are general knowledge, that people should know things that Um, They're trying to harm us by doing certain things. And sometimes people just don't know. You'd be surprised how many things people don't know. I remember meeting um, my first friend who didn't gossip. I was in high school. And, you know, gossip, it was, you know, as a kid, as as a teenager, it was just a way to connect with people. And, you know, I would start into this gossip and it would just stand there. It's like they didn't give me any energy back. And I was like, oh, wow, this person doesn't like they wouldn't say anything bad about people. Wouldn't engage. They would not engage. Like yeah. that was their boundary. And I was like, and I'm saying there because it was twins. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had this boundary of like, yeah, I don't, I don't need to talk about this random girl in our class. Now, if it has something to do with me, like this person did something to me, I could speak to that. But just like, oh my gosh, look at her hair. Look at her outfit. It's like, I'm, I'm not doing that. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what integrity to be able to really hold that with anyone. Yeah. You know, I think something that stood out to me in that is that how strong boundaries like that can be inspirational and Mm -hmm. they can, they can empower other people to do the same. Absolutely. I I did feel empowered after that. And it made me feel a little stupid talking about people, right? Yeah. A little wake up call. They're just looking at you like, okay, her hair. Yeah. This is mean in a way that I never considered. And then you're forced to find a new way to engage and connect with these people. And that requires some creativity. Absolutely. I had to get really creative and learn to talk about myself, right? Because they don't, they weren't, you know, they didn't want to hear about other people. It was really about us. Yeah. And sometimes it's really clear like that. And I also kind of think there's two sides to this. Like that was a very clear boundary that they had, but you were also also able to read the room and figure out that they're not going to engage. They don't, this is not their thing. Um, do you feel like it's kind of two sides on that where some people are able to really set those boundaries and it to be obvious. And sometimes it's hard for other people to really read the room and read and understand. 
Yeah. And I think those are the cases where we have to be direct and we have to tell them, you know, we Mm -hmm. may have to say to people, Hey, I've seen you. And and I've certainly done this before. Hey, I've seen you've caught me 10 times in a row. You know, please don't do that unless it's an emergency, but to call me that amount of times just to say, Hey, how you're doing. It's really disruptive when I'm actually busy and can't talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you ever worry that being too boundaried will make you seem cold or distant? Too boundaried. I don't know if there's a such thing as too boundaried because the boundaries are flexible, right? Mm -hmm. Like every, you won't have a boundary about everything and you will have a boundary about some things. Um, And I think it's, you know, reading the room, respecting another person's space, um, is really important. And sometimes with our boundaries, it is our job to protect those boundaries and not always our job to put them on other people. Mm-hmm. Right. So if, if I have a boundary around some things, it's not like, you know what, this other person has to do it too. It's like, no, it's my boundary. Um, I can feel a way about this. And I think, a a part of relationship is allowing ourselves to sometimes be uncomfortable. Everything will not be 100% our way. It's not like, oh, I get to be like happy all the time. The temperature, the the music selection, the food, the everything will be to my liking. Some of it won't. And that's okay. It doesn't mean it's an unhealthy relationship. It just means that as a sacrifice to be with this person, you are, you know, you're doing something a little different. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of flexibility required in intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there was there, a lot, I made lots and lots of notes in your book. Um, but one was you said fear around boundaries isn't rooted in fact, it's rooted in negative thoughts and storylines in our heads. Mm-hmm. I loved that. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. When we are not placing boundaries with people, it is typically based on some ruminating thoughts, right? So we're thinking about like, this person will respond this way. They will say this in my therapy sessions. I will have clients like talk about how this person will respond and they will give these elaborate stories of, you know, they will say this. It's almost like they, it's, it's happened. Right. And then at the end of it, you know, I'll say, you know, we don't know what they would say. All of this is hypothetical. Isn't it so interesting how we just talk 30 minutes around a hypothetical conversation and reaction? <laughs> like we have spent a great amount of time adding detail to a story that doesn't exist. Yeah. And sometimes that feels safer. Absolutely. Then, then just actually saying it, sitting in that fear and not doing it is safer than actually placing that boundary. I don't know how they will respond. And, and I'll tell you, 99% of the time where it, when I've said something hard and uncomfortable, I have a whole idea in my head of how it'll go. It never goes that way, mm-hmm. ever. Whether their reaction is overboard, whether it is an underreaction, whether it is, you know, appropriate for the message, it's never what I'm thinking. It's like, why can't I nail this? (laughs) I just, I just want to be able to, without a doubt, (laughs) nail these ruminating thoughts and it doesn't work. 
It's rooted in rumination. Yeah, we do. We ruminate over these boundary violations. Like how could she, why would he, we think about it a lot without speaking to the person. And this happens in almost all intimate relationships. I feel like I was thinking, well, maybe it's more so in partnerships, but the parent-child relationship, it pops up kind of everywhere. Yeah. You know, I, I happen to believe that we don't know when we're offending people. That's why we're always offending people. Mm-hmm. We think we're just saying something. We're th- we think we're just making a joke. We think we're just, you know, stating this need. And it's like, oh my gosh, that was so offensive. How would I know? Yeah. And and sometimes families, the most intimate connections are the hardest to set boundaries with, especially if we feel like we've tried and failed to set boundaries before repeating the process. Do you feel like if we've tried to set a boundary with someone and failed that maybe we need to try again in a different way? Yes, we have to restate our boundaries. There is this idea in relationships that saying something one time is enough, but some new research has come out that said we need to say things over and over and over for people to actually grasp what we're saying. I know that's really hard to believe. It can be, you know, exhausting sometimes to think about saying something to a person, but if it's a relationship that you care about and one where the boundary isn't very, you know, I think there are levels to boundary violations, right? There are some things where it's like, you need to say this once. And there are other things that we can actually repeat, you know, like it's, it's annoying, but you know, it's, it's not anything that's a safety violation. I think those safety violations, you know, you, I don't think you need to repeat several times, Hey, you know, you're making me feel uncomfortable sexually. Please stop rubbing my leg. You don't need to repeat that several times, but you may need to say, you know, to a friend, Hey, um, I'm busy at work. I'll call you back. You may need to say that 10 times. Mm -hmm. So I think there is levels to, you know, what you repeat, but many, Many boundaries do need to be repeated. And I know that we feel like, oh my gosh, I mustered up the courage to say it once. That should be enough. It is not enough because people, they hear it and then they forget it. They hear it, they forget it. They hear it and it's like, okay, let me do something about it. Then they forget to do something about it. That You know, there's this whole process of change for them. You know, we don't change immediately. Change is a process. And so to change, we have to have some sort of repetition to that. And we are helping them when we repeat what we need. Mm, Yes. I actually was thinking this morning, um, my husband has a boundary around me using his chapstick and it seems like a small thing, but I have a really hard time putting it back where I found it. And he's the kind of person who has a spot for everything. And I, um, I was listening after I finished your book, I was searching around for, for my own chapstick, which of course I can't find because I have no idea where I put it. So I knew where his was. So I went and I found it and I was kind of mindfully thinking about boundaries as I put his chapstick back, that he has set this boundary for me dozens of times, Danae, if you're going to use my chapstick, put it back where you found it. And I have such a hard time with it. And it's to the point where he gets frustrated with me because Mm -hmm. he's repeated the boundary over and over again. Um, But it's, it's 
taken a lot. And now I kind of feel like I'm seeing this through a new lens, right? That this is a boundary he set for me and he expects me to follow it. And I need to be mindful. I need to get off autopilot Mm. and pause to respect his boundary because for someone like me, that kind of thing's not easy. Yeah. In my house, the chapstick is a fingernail clipper, right? We have that too. (laughs) Yeah. um, Strange thing. I don't even use a fingernail clipper for me. I mostly use it for my kids, but my husband is like, where is the fingernail clipper? Please put it back. And I'm like, so, you know, part of it for me, the boundary I set is to buy multiples. (laughs) We, I want to buy eight. Right. (laughs) I I would just lose all eight. We need one in each room because I don't know what I'm thinking. I'm putting them back. And then he goes to use it and he's like, where's the fingernail clipper? I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've done it again. Um, So yeah, there is this constant repeating, but you're right. You know, now it's to the point where I'm like, go put it back. You know, I'm like, go put it back. Go put it back. Yeah. It's like, go now, go now. You just use it. Go. You know, I really have to remember that because naturally, guess what I don't want to do? Put it back. Right. I want to put it in this random spot. That is my natural orientation to just leave it wherever I clip the nail. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it requires some effort to change that line of thinking. It does. And I think we have to recognize that with kids too. I mean, I have a boundary with the kinetic sand where it has to stay at the table or on the play mat. And, um, yesterday it was on the play mat, but, um, it became kind of like a beach of kinetic sand and and my child started rolling in the kinetic sand and it was everywhere and it, it exceeded the boundary of the play mat. (laughs) And that kind of thing, you know, she got caught up in the moment. She got carried away. Her imagination went wild and it, it's, it is, I mean, she definitely didn't do what I asked her to do and it was everywhere, but in some ways I do think this sort of giving her this boundary and repeating the boundary and helping her to understand that I see that sometimes you're going to forget, sometimes you're going to get carried away. Mm-hmm. Let's keep practicing or mm-hmm. let me give you less because I've given you more than you can handle. So it's my responsibility to help give you some parameters. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes the boundary is not allowing anyone to dishonor the boundary, mm-hmm. right? So, hey, I said play mat, but now we're going to keep it at the table. Mm-hmm. Because even the play mat is too broad. Right. So sometimes we'll put it on this other person. Like, you need to do these things. And sometimes people can't. You know, mm-hmm. I think about that with substance abuse. That there are, you know, a, a key component is not being able to control it. And so sometimes we will think we're setting these boundaries. You can't drink anymore. Don't, you know, don't do drugs. And it's like, That's not a boundary that a person with a use issue can manage. Now, what do you do when they do too much? You know, what do you do when they've had two drinks? Do you say, okay, I'm going to take your beverage because this is my party. And, you know, I made this request to you and I will now see to it that my boundary is honored. Perhaps it's not inviting the person if you know they can't honor it. Perhaps it is, you know, like how do we set reasonable boundaries based on the person? Because sometimes our boundaries, it's just like, you know, a person should be able to. And it's like, that is not a reasonable 
expectation for this situation. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of it, I just watched um, Benjamin Button. Oh, I love that. I, I know. seen that in years. I, need to I have time. not seen it since it came out. And I did not realize it was sad. <laughs> I didn't even remember it being sad. Oh, I do. <laughs> but anyways, you know, it was this part where he's in church and the pastor is like, walk. And he fail. <laughs> it's like, I can't walk. You know, like that's an unreasonable expectation. Ah. It's like, I'm not pretending to be in this wheelchair. If we really think about the capacity of people and the expectations we're placing, we will have more reasonable expectations. But sometimes we're thinking about, well, I can walk. It's like, okay, this Mm -hmm. person cannot. (laughs) Do Do we really have that expectation for them? Oh, a hundred percent. Because, you know, the minute the kinetic sand is on the table, it's the engagement is with the hands. Once it's on the floor, it's under the feet, it's under the everywhere. It's everywhere. You know, the rolling in it. I think that it's just too much when we give them more than we can, they can handle. When we put them in a situation where it's more than they can manage, Mm -hmm. then it becomes on us to change the boundaries to something more reasonable that is going to be um, manageable for everybody. So we can set them up for success. Yeah. I think about a big parenting fail that we often do is we set kids up for food and, and, you know, mess failures and be like, be careful. It's like, I don't even trust my kids to be careful in my house. I'm sorry. I don't. (laughs) It's like, you just can't eat over there. That's the whole thing. You can't eat carefully in that room period. Like it's not even an option. You can go in the kitchen and you could get crumbs all over the place. Have at it because it's going to happen. You know, there's no way to carefully eat Mm -hmm. a graham cracker without dropping crumbs. I know that. So now I'm asking this kid to bite the graham cracker, hold their hand under their mouth to catch it. That's not a reasonable expectation. What's more reasonable is to say, this is the space, this is the boundary. This is the space in which you can have at eating graham crackers, popsicles, um, play with slot. Like this is, this is your zone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's part of our role is steering the ship. Thinking about my son wanted to go out on his scooter when it was very, very wet and on the concrete and it was just, it was slippery. And he's like, no, I'll be careful. I'll be careful. I I promise I'll be careful. Like, even if you're so careful, which he is, you know, accidents happen. Things happen. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, because my kids will do the same thing. I'll be careful. And it's like, you know, what does it do to us to know that we weren't careful enough? How does that impact our mental health? Mm -hmm. Isn't that like putting some blame on us that we can't control? Mm. You know, how do we beat ourselves up when we actually go out on that wet pavement, ride our scooter and fall? And we were trying to be careful. Oh, yeah. ouch. The mental health crisis that brews within us when we have tried our best to not make a mistake and we still mm. make the mistake. Perhaps the protection there is a mental health one, right? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm thinking about, um, I moved into a new house and I was trying to back my car out of the garage and I'm notorious for not doing a good job of backing out of the garage. And I was looking at the side of the garage and I'm thinking, be careful, Danae, be careful, be careful, be careful. 
And I definitely hit the side of the garage. As I was intentionally watching, trying to be so careful, I still did the thing I didn't mean to do. Yeah. You know, I I have a personal policy of not trying to make people feel worse when they've made a mistake. Yeah. Like, why didn't you just look? It's like, I am 100% sure this person was looking. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I am 100% that you didn't say, how can I scratch my car up today? Right. You know, there's this assumption that you're not being careful. It's like, no, I'm being super careful about this thing. I'm not trying to run a light. It, to me, it's an accident. And so to say to people sometimes, you know, like, why didn't you? It's like, I, you know, I really felt confident in my ability and, and you making me feel worse just makes me feel worse. Right. Right. Yeah. Because accidents happen whether or not, whether or not we're, we're doing our best, I think that it can still happen. And that definitely is the case for me. I, um, I find that through my mistakes, I give my kids a lot of grace when I see my own mistakes in that light. We're going to pause for a two minute word from today's sponsors. The first sponsor today is Lus Brands. My goal is to always keep things simple, so I'm constantly looking for a solution to do as little work as possible when it comes to my hair, yet still get great results. I recently shared some progress pictures on Instagram of my hair since I started using Lus Brands. And I have to say that many of you all were just as surprised slash impressed as I am. It's a three-part system, a shampoo, conditioner, and an all-in-one styler. And the all-in-one styler does not leave your hair crunchy or wet-looking, one of my peeves. I've been loving Lus Brands, and I'm not the only one. They have over 30,000 five-star reviews. From September 23rd to September 30th, Lus is celebrating their fifth birthday with a huge sale by giving you 15% off site-wide. Go to lusbrands.com. That's L-U-S brands with an S dot com to get 15% off. Again, that's lusbrands.com to get 15% off. Our second sponsor for today is Indeed. If you're hiring, the right candidate might be doing everything they can to find you. And if you use Indeed, you can be sure you're doing everything you can to find them too. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place which is why my favorite thing about Indeed is it's simple. Data shows that over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. That means as soon as you sponsor a job, you get a short list of candidates right away. Indeed does the hard work for you. And they also know that when you're doing everything for your company, you can't afford to overspend on hiring. So visit indeed.com slash families to start hiring right now. Go to indeed.com slash families, indeed.com slash families. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing is not available for everyone. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. When I'm thinking about families and boundaries, extended family is something that comes up a lot, something I hear a lot from parents about letting getting the the generation that came before us to let go and to let us take on responsibility for making decisions about parenting um is this an area that you hear a lot managing in-laws and grandparents 
Absolutely. I think we're in a generation where um, extended family has less of a hold on us. You know, for decades, there used to be this multi-generational household. There used to be this closeness of family. And now you have families moving away. Um, You have them wanting to be more autonomous, wanting them to do, you know, they want to do things differently. And so, yeah, there's a lot of friction when people have a certain way of doing things, particularly when you've turned out okay. You know, I've I've heard, uh, I, I know a woman who says, I smoked when I was pregnant, and she proudly says it because her child was born healthy, right? This was in the 80s. So she's like, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's like, well, so, sometimes there is, you know, your, your child is okay, right? Great. But I don't know if that's like, a, you know, if we should be advocating for that. What are you saying about me a lot of times when we're doing something different? It is like, what are you saying about me? What are you right. saying about how I raised you? What are you saying about how I raised your husband? Yeah. Because when we go against that group dynamic, they perceive it as a rejection. It's like if you're doing it differently, then you're saying without saying that I did it wrong. Yeah, I think it's the same way with anything, though, right? If if we go out to to dinner with friends and we say, "Hey, I'll take a mocktail instead of you know a cocktail," mm-hmm. right? It's like why aren't you drinking? You know, it's this like indictment of the other person when really it's like, you know, I really like the taste of Sprite and grenadine, you know, like that's the whole reason or because I want to, you know, it's none of your business. But so often when we are doing something different from other people, it is a challenge to them and that is their work to do. We can't rescue them from that. It happens with extended families. It happens, you know, in all sorts of relationships that people are like, wait, what's wrong with what I did or what I'm doing? So when you when you are doing something different and you get pushback from those family members, how do you set the boundary? Because it's going to be uncomfortable if you're confrontational. Yeah, I think it's, you know, a lot of what we talked about earlier that you'll have to repeat that boundary because Mm -hmm. they are learning a new skill. You are teaching them a new way of changing diapers, a new way of speaking to children, a new way of parenting, a new way of, you know, going on family vacations. And so it will have to be repeated. The only time that I've been challenged by that is when I've repeated it and someone has definitely told me they didn't care. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Like there are times where people will say, hey, I hear you and I don't care. Mm -hmm. And it can be verbally. It could be through their behaviors. Now, that might be a little challenging, like, oh, wow. But there are other times where, you know, people are, they they just forgot, you know, it's, it hasn't been a thing. I think about, you know, all the allergies that kids had now. I can't remember one kid in my elementary school with an allergy, not one. I don't know if we didn't pay attention to them, if somebody was going in a shock and we, I don't know what was happening, but now kids, you know, they have peanut butter allergies. They have, you know, all of these sort of things. So telling a parent, you know, who reared kids in a generation where, you know, this wasn't as common or at least it wasn't as tended to, um, you're breaking a cycle there. (laughs) You know, like, hey, don't give my kid this. You know, you will have to make sure that they aren't doing that thing because in their brain, it's like, oh, you know, well, if you just give it to them more often, they'll get over it. It's like, 
No, it's not like a we can extinguish this. It is a thing that is really a thing. Please do not do it. So there is some repeating that needs to occur. Mm. Yeah. And I've heard of that coming up with families where, you know, a child has allergies and the grandparents are like, oh, it's fine. You just need to feed it to them. And the grandparents do feed it to them. And it's it's a whole thing mm-hmm. that sort of taking a different approach. And in that situation, if you were to firmly say, do not feed my child peanuts, they have an allergy to peanuts and they it's disregarded. And then you say it again how, you know, where, where do you go from there? If the person just seems to be like, oh, they were fine. They just got a little rash on their face. It's not a big deal. Well, I think with children, safety is really important. So mm-hmm. if we have someone that's not respecting an allergy that could lead to, you know, some pretty serious issues, you know, I think there is a case for protecting your kid at all costs. Do you allow this person to feed them food? Mm-hmm. You know, can can you say, you know, please don't feed my kid anything or maybe not even, you know, have them alone with this person who would give them stuff that they could have a reaction to? Because now it's a safety issue. It goes beyond, you know, general boundary into boundary 2.0. Like, whoa, someone can be harmed here. We can't allow this to fly. This isn't something that I can ignore. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's safety. Sometimes it's a more personal preference too. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about parents who don't like their kids to have a lot of sugar and then grandparents mm-hmm. who like s- smuggle sugar into the kids may or may not have happened in my house before. Um, but I think that kind of situation comes up too, right? Where they're the, the grandparents or other extended family members think that you're not indulging your kids enough and they want to be fun. They want to give them special privileges. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we try to set a boundary around that, then we're viewed kind of as this cold, um, kind of like fun police. Yeah. You know, I think this really beautiful thing happens is every parent gets to raise their child in the way that they want to. And I think grandparents just knowing that, like, hey, when I was a kid, you did X, Y, and Z. This is my opportunity to do my X, Y, and Z. Mm. Please let me do that. And this is one of the things that I deem as important. You know, you don't get a (laughs) do-over. So this is is my time to parent my child, and this is how I want to do it. Yeah. Should we be looking for people to agree with our boundaries is what I'm hearing. Mm. Should people you know, lovingly respect them. Oh yes, this is a wonderful boundary. Less sugar. Love it. They don't have to like the boundary. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't either. You know, I I think that, you know, when we want to do things with people, we want to do those things. And there are some boundaries that people have with me and I don't like them, but because I love the person, I want to be in this relationship. I respect it. Yeah. 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 In your book, you talk about, you know, what happens after you've set a boundary and you feel awkward about it. Like if you had to have that firm, please do not give my kids sugar if that's your belief. And that's the boundary that you want to hold. And then what do you do next? And you say, just act normal. There's this idea that we have to present as mad, frustrated that this person made us say this thing to them and just act normal. You know, whatever the next interaction would naturally be, hey, do you want to sit down and watch a, you know, some go to girls? Then do that. You don't have to avoid the person or change your behavior in any way. Let's make 
uncomfortable conversations a normal part of relationships. And the way that we do that is normalizing saying tough things and getting back to the business of loving the person. Yeah. And maybe my favorite quote from your book was that clarity saves relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's not something we think about often is that really by setting these boundaries, we're more likely to keep a relationship, a healthy relationship rather than lose one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or, Or do you think that's true? Or just sometimes boundaries result in us losing people? I read this book um, and it was about divorce, kind of a how to save your marriage type book. And one of the top reasons for divorce was people not telling their partner what they wanted and that sometimes leading to infidelity. So they like, you know, these things or they feel like no one sees me, but they're also not showing themselves. Um, How do people honor us in relationships without us being clear about who we are? It's not possible. You know, how can people call you on your birthday or send you birthday cards or whatever thing that you really enjoy without you saying, hey, it's really important to me to, you know, have people call me or, you know, whatever those things are that we're wanting. Lots of times we're waiting for this person to figure out our body language, our distance, our coldness and all these other things when really What we need to say is, you know, I need this. I want this. Can you do, you know, this is a part of me and it's really important and not um, what we typically do is, you know, it's, it's just not healthy for us. So clarity is really what helps us stay in healthy relationships. Yeah. I think about um, how sometimes someone has to drop the ball before we even notice what the boundary is, like with the birthday thing. Like I really like getting birthday cards from the store, just like my husband going and spending time picking out one that he thinks I would love. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know that I liked that. And that was important to me until a couple of years went by when he didn't do it. And then I had to be really clear in that expectation that I really enjoy birthday cards. Can you please take the time to go to the store each year and Mm. pick out a a birthday card that's personal to me. And I had to be very explicit in that. That was not, there was no mind reading that was going to, that was going to fix that. <laughs> yeah. You have to let people know very directly, like clearly this is the issue I'm having. And here's a solution to fix this issue. Because without that, you would be this person who's not getting cards. You're really upset at them. It's all their fault. How could they ever think that a person wouldn't like to receive cards? You know, all of this stuff. Now, cards aren't very important to me. So guess what I'm not often doing? Giving people cards. Yeah. I don't like the accumulation of paper. (laughs) And you would never know that I wanted one, right? Because they're not important to you. So you would need me to tell you that. So I would need you to say, hey, you know, let me send me a card every here and there. For me, it's like, uh, why'd they put this card in here? Now I have something else to throw away. You know, so it's like now a handwritten note. I do appreciate that. A text, an email is like, okay, great. Now we're we're saving trees. Mm -hmm. But, you know, an actual card, sometimes that's not my thing. But for those in my life who I know it's important to, I send them cards. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So there was another quote that lots of quotes that I love, but this one really stood out too. It was, you don't have to be boundaryless to be loved. 
Yeah, we think that love is giving up everything about us, right? Like, I can't want anything, I can't need anything, and that is how people will love me if I am just this pile of clay to be molded. And it's like, well, you can be in a shape of something and people will love you if those are your people. And sometimes we have an issue with waiting, waiting for the right friend to come along, waiting for the white partner, job, or, you know, these, these things to happen. There is this sense of urgency of, you know, now I have one friend, but I need eight. So I'll hang out with these other seven people I don't really like and pretend to, you know, be needless. And it's exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting to pretend to not have any needs, to like food that you don't really like, to, you know, listen to loud music when you prefer quiet. It is exhausting. Yeah. And I thought with this quote, you don't have to be boundaryless to be loved. The parent-child relationship came to mind for me because I think sometimes we really feel like we have to make our kids happy all the time. And we have to, you know, give in like my, I can't have a boundary that I don't want a kid sleeping in my bed. Like they're going to be sad. They're going to be unhappy. They're going to cry. So setting those boundaries with kids, I think can be really hard because we want them to be happy. We want them to love us. Um, It's hard to see them upset. Oh, it's so hard to see them upset. You brought up sleep and I had Mm -hmm. the, I think I had the worst nights of sleep in history of parenting last night. Both of my kids were up in my bed And this morning I said to my daughter, we're going to have to figure out a solution to this. You know, I'm scared anxiety. Mm -hmm. We will probably leave on a nightlight and all these things. And she's like, but I'm afraid at night. I said, and so was I. And so was every other child who ever walked this earth. Nighttime is scary. You see shapes. It's all sorts of stuff. But we have to have a well-rested mother. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) And without that, you will get a dragon. We will have to come up with some solutions, but the solution is not going to be coming to get in my bed in the middle of the night and waking me up for several hours at a time. So we'll, we'll figure something out. You know, it may, it may take us a while, but we're, we're going to get this thing together because I believe you this, Mm -hmm. it, you know, it's a scary time. And also I, I can't suffer as a result of it. So how do we figure out some solution to this? And it is sad. It is uncomfortable. And it's hard to say because you do want to be there for them and rescue them from stuff. But a part of parenting is knowing that kids will have their own obstacles and they are not things for you to solve or resolve. Yeah, that's such an important point. And I think when anxiety is involved, the boundaries can get very blurry between the parent and child and Mm -hmm. that um, setting that boundary, like you can't sleep in my bed every night because I don't sleep. And then I get grumpy, right? That's really honoring Mm -hmm. your child's best interest because your child's best interest is not having a grumpy mom every day, Mm -hmm. but it's hard for them to see that chain of events when they're young or even when they're older. Yeah. Well, I try to remind them often. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm a little short because I didn't have enough sleep. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm joking, but I will certainly um have some serious conversations with them when they get older so that they understand some of these mm-hmm. things because that understanding helps me in my relationship with my mother when she can explain some of these things I've created stories around and she can give the you know, the behind the scenes. And I'm like, 
you know, now that makes sense. At the time, yeah. I was just thinking, you know, whatever. So it, it will be important someday for me to let them know that, you know, um, life was hard raising kids. Yeah. <laughs> I think about um, my son is kind of a mama's boy. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say kind of a mama's boy, a total mama's boy. And he always wants me to be the one reading to him every night, not my husband. So it's always preferring me to read. And I have this ongoing conversation with him where like, you know what, sometimes I need a break and a break <laughs> looks like your dad reading to you. And if I don't get a break, what happens? Right. Yeah. I get grumpy. Like I get, I get burnout. So I need a break so that I can stay healthy and happy. And I'll try to explain that to him. He's eight. I don't think it's clicking yet, but I think that conversation that me needing a break and me being showing up as my best self for you as a result of those breaks, I think that's an important conversation, even if it's not quite clicking yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think having those conversation as they're replaying these things, hopefully they remember the part of your explanation too. When they say, mom didn't Mm want to read to me every night, but also mom said, you know, like, so a part of the explaining for me is letting them know that, you know, this is why I responded in this way. You may not understand it now, but I hope it becomes a part of your story as to, you know, how something turned out. My, my daughter is starting to, you know, I would travel for work and she would be like, I never want you to leave. You know, I miss you. You should never go anywhere. Now her tune has changed. Mom, I think you should live your dreams. Oh, I love that. This has come from, you know, explaining, you know, Hey, mom needs to have time with her friends. Just like you have time with your friends. You get time with your friends all day in school. I don't. So this, you know, three hour session of, you know, me going to have dinner with a friend, you have had 10 times that amount. Yeah. Rest and relaxation. Oh my gosh. Your rest level is on 1000. Mine is on a five, (laughs) you know, so (laughs) explaining that stuff, I think eventually they understand it. Like, oh, it takes some maturity, right? But you can still say it and hopefully they'll start to understand that, you know, I am your mother and I am a human. Yeah. I am a human being. And, you know, I I want a lot of the same things that you do. (laughs) And that simple explanation is really valuable. You know, it's not, I'm just leaving because I want to get away from you. Because sometimes if we don't give kids a simple explanation, they will create their own narrative. That's like my Mm -hmm. mom leaves to go out with her friends because she can't stand me or she doesn't want to be with me. And that, you know, you are recharging, you're explaining in -hmm. a very simple way why you're doing this and how this helps you and kind of in turn helps your whole family when you get to show Mm -hmm. up as the person that you want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Well, Nedra, I loved your first book. What do you have in the works? Can you share? Um, I have a lot in the works. Um, I feel like there will be an announcement soon of something very fun and exciting. Um, I will continue to write books for sure. Um, I think there are so many things that need to be spoken about from the point of view of a therapist. So, um, yeah, more soon. I love it. I love it. So we can follow you on Instagram. What's your handle there? Nedra Tawab 
on Instagram, natural to wab everywhere. I mean, if you just okay. put that name in, you can find me on anything, right? Like if you just put in Nedra, I pop up. We're not popular as Nedra You're the only Twabs. one, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> right. you know, I'm not John Smith. <laughs> right. Right. That helps. Well, thank you so much for your time. I've loved this chat and I hope to chat with you again soon. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Surely this conversation with Nedra had you thinking all about boundaries and probably how they impact your life and your relationship in ways that you never imagined. If you want to get in touch with Nedra or the things that we talked about today, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 323. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm glad you're here.